Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. Have you ever had a good moment happen in your life and you just got to talk about it? You got to tell people about it. You want to share it. You put it on social media. Have you ever had a moment where something good happened and you want the world to know? Maybe you got into the college or you got engaged or married or you're having a baby. You got the job. You bought the new house. Have you ever had a moment where something good is happening in you and you got to get it out of you. You got to tell the world about it. I would even argue that if you don't want to talk about it, it's probably not good, right? Because when something good happens, you want the world to know. And I think that that's what the first Christians felt when they interacted with Jesus. I think that that's what John felt when he first met Jesus. And then when he put his faith in Jesus. And John put his faith in Jesus and believed in Jesus because of what he saw. And what he saw was a miraculous, powerful, extraordinary life of Jesus. And it changed him. And he knew. He knew that this was giving him life. He knew that he was alive for the very first time. And then in that moment, when he received life, I think John recognized that he couldn't keep this to himself. It was something good that he had to tell the world about. It's why he wrote the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth letter, actually, in the New Testament. And it's the story of Jesus from John's recollection, from John and his eyewitness moments, his eyewitness accounts. It's what John experienced from Jesus. And he wrote it down because he wanted you to know because something good was happening in him and he wanted you to know. Something good was happening around him and he wanted the world to know. John organizes his letter around the seven signs that Jesus did. Seven things that pointed to the identity of Jesus. And the reason why he wrote it was so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what he said. He said, these things are written. I wrote these things down that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And by believing you may have life in his name because he wanted you to have life. He wanted you to know Jesus so that you could have life. He wanted you to know this good thing that was happening in him and it brought him life, and he wanted you to know how he could bring you life. That's why he wrote this letter, because something powerful was happening, and he had to talk about it. It wasn't just for him, it was for everyone around him as well. And I think that there were moments where John slowly began to realize that he couldn't keep this to himself, but I think that there was one moment where his eyes were opened. And I think it was the fourth sign the fourth sign that he writes about, when Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. It's a very famous story, true story in the scriptures. What I wanna do is I wanna take you into that story. I wanna read through what happened and I wanna show you two things. I wanna show you the words of Jesus and the actions of one particular person in this story. And then I want us to consider what it means for us in our relationship with God in this world, all right? So if you have a Bible with you or if you have the Bible app near you, 
Would you open up to John chapter six? We're gonna start in verse two. And if you're watching on campus today or if you're watching online today, the verses will be on the screen for you. As you're turning there, let me set the scene. Jesus and the disciples are in the northern part of Israel. And it's right after John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, was killed. And so they're in the northern part of Israel, and we're not given too many details as to why, but it's a pretty destitute area. And so some theologians believe that Jesus and the disciples went there to grieve and to mourn because they had a deep love and a deep care for John the Baptist. And he's, he's gone. He, he, he died. He was murdered. And so they went there to grieve. They went there to mourn. They went there to reset and maybe reframe a bit. But the crowd, the crowd that loved Jesus and was following Jesus found him and his disciples. And John tells us that this great crowd followed him because they saw miraculous signs that he performed on the sick. Then Jesus was with the disciples and they went up to a mountainside and they sat down. And John tells us that the Jewish Passover feast was near. This was a moment where the Jewish people would remember and reflect on what God did for them, freeing them from Egypt, from slavery, and bringing them into the promised land. It was a reminder that everybody needs a rescuer and a savior. Jesus looked up and he saw this great crowd walking towards him. And then he asks a really interesting question of Philip, one of the disciples. He says this, Hey, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It's a weird question because it wasn't a part of the conversation. Like nobody was considering feeding people and Philip wasn't even thinking about that. And so he might have looked a bit confused as Jesus asked him this question. And he's thinking to himself like, Jesus, we, we don't feed, we heal. That's, that's what we've been doing. That's why they're here. John, with the opportunity to write this later on, gives us some insight as to what was actually happening there, the dynamics between Jesus and the disciples. And John says that Jesus asked this question only to test Philip. Now that sounds a bit unloving and maybe a bit unfair, but don't miss what John is trying to help us see here. Jesus is asking this question to consider the posture of Philip's heart, to see where he's at, to see if he's just thinking about himself or is he thinking beyond himself? Is he thinking about what he can get out of this or how he can serve others? Is this just for him or is the story going to be told through him? This is what Jesus wants to know because John tells us he asked this to test Philip for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip gives him an answer. Philip says to Jesus, um, eight months wages, eight months of salary would not be enough to buy bread for each one to have one bite. Like Jesus, we don't have the resource and we don't have access to food and there is thousands of people here. And then Andrew, one of the other disciples had heard what was going on and began to think strategically about how they could really help serve these people. And so John tells us that Andrew, the, the brother of Simon Peter, comes up and speaks up and he says, uh, hey, Jesus, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. Like he sounds very confident. He sounds very courageous. Like, yeah, Jesus, we're going to do something great. But then his humanity takes over. He says, here's this young boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will it go among so many? Like, I, I think we have something here, but I'm not really sure if we have something here. And Jesus doesn't even respond to that. Jesus just says, have the people sit down. John tells us there's this grassy area where everybody is sitting and the men and the women, they sat down. And John gives us the number. There's about 5,000 men there. 
And he gives us this number not because he just wants to focus on the men, but John is giving us this number to let us know how large this group potentially is. Like he starts by counting the men. There's like 5,000 men, but there are women and children there as well. There are families there. And some estimates by theologians believe that there's probably about 20,000 people there. That's why Philip says we, it would take eight months salary to feed everybody. There's about 20,000 people there. And then Jesus, after everybody sits down, does something pretty outrageous. John says that Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. Now, I don't want you to rush by this because typically in the story we will. I don't want you to rush by this. They just had a conversation about how they don't have enough money to feed everybody. They have five loaves of bread and two fish and they have about 20,000 people. And Jesus has everybody sit down and he begins to pray. Like, it would be like me saying, I brought this kind bar today. And this kind bar is going to feed everybody that's on campus today and everybody that's watching online today and everybody that's listening to the podcast today. This kind bar that I hold in my hand is going to feed everybody. Okay, let's pray. And you probably, because you're respectful, you would probably pray with me. But in your mind, your focus would not be on the prayer. You'd be thinking, Mike, that's outrageous. There are thousands of us. And that kind bar is not going to feed us. And the assumption here was that everybody was going to eat and have their fill. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous. And people are wondering what Jesus is doing. But Jesus goes, have everybody sit down. Give me the food. And then he begins to pray. And he gives thanks for the food. And then John tells us, after he says, amen, they distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, don't miss that. When they had all had enough to eat, 20,000 people, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. Wait a second, left over? Like we were wondering if we were even going to be able to feed everybody or at least just our group and we have stuff left over. Can you imagine being those first followers and picking up the leftovers? And John tells us that they begin to gather. And I'm wondering if they're thinking to themselves, like, how in the world did this happen? Like, I didn't see any food trucks. There was no extra food around here. And yet everybody had their full and there, there was a ton of food left over. John gets specific and he says, they gathered all of this food up and they filled 12 baskets full with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over after everybody had eaten. This is a really interesting moment because John is a Jewish man. And John, as he's writing this, is giving a wink to Jewish history. The first readers of this story would know what he's talking about. Those people experiencing that moment would know what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe you would even know, but if you don't, John's giving a wink to Jewish history because the God of the universe, the creator God who came in, in the person and work of Jesus is a providing God. 
And when you go back to what's called the Old Testament in the scriptures, you see moments where God miraculously provided for his people. One particular moment, because it's around the Passover. One particular moment that they would be thinking about was right after the Passover, when they escaped Egypt and they walked across the Red Sea and they entered the Promised Land. There was a moment when they were in the desert and they didn't have any food. And God promised to provide food. And so every morning when they would wake up, there would be food. And they saw God as a provider. The Hebrew language is Jehovah Jireh. God, you are my provider. And so these people are getting food from a rabbi who is claiming to be God in the flesh. And he's passing it around and everybody had their fill and there's food left over. It had to have caused them to ask the question like, who is this guy? And that's exactly what John wanted us to consider. He would want us to know, who is this guy? After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to talk because that's what we do, right? And they began to say, surely this man is a prophet of some sort who has come into the world. And for a moment, they shifted all of their focus on Jesus. And they were intrigued by him. But Jesus... He knew that this was temporary and he knew it was not his time to go public as the Messiah, as the Son of God. People knew, but it was not his time to announce it to the world because he had something better in mind. He had the cross and the resurrection in mind. And so John tells us that he knew that people were talking about this. So Jesus, he knew they intended to come and make him king by force. Now, remember when John tells us about the number and gives us an amount of people that are actually there. Here's why he tells us about that number. Because there was a large enough crowd there to actually make Jesus king by force. Like they could have gone to the temple and they could have thrown King Herod off the throne and they could have put Jesus there. There was enough people, 20,000 people to make that happen. And you know what it would have done? It would have changed the region, but it wouldn't have changed the world. It would have changed them, but it wouldn't have changed you or me. And Jesus knew that he didn't come to change a region. He came to change the world. And so this is why he, pull, he pulls back. John says that Jesus withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. There's a moment where he takes all of his disciples and he says, hey, get in the boat, go across the lake, and I'll meet you there the next day. That moment, by the way, where they go across the lake and then Jesus meets them is, is powerful. You need to read it. It's in John chapter 6, so you get a moment today, read that. But the next day, Jesus meets them across the lake. And the crowd actually finds out where Jesus is, and the crowd actually has grown because they got free food and then they began to tell other people about it. And so as they began to look for Jesus, they find him across the lake. But little did they know that Jesus was about to thin the crowd. He was about to call them out. And he was going to call them out with a very radical truth. Friends, this is not about you. This is not about your appetite. This is not about you being hungry. This is not about a large gathering. It's better than that. It's not about you. Those are the words that Jesus would communicate to this first audience, and those are the words that pastor and author Rick Warren wrote to open up his famous book, A Purpose Driven Life. 
And those words shook people, opened their eyes for people. It, it caused them to consider some things that maybe they never considered before. Because what Rick was pointing people to is that this is bigger than you. This story of Jesus is beyond you. This story of Jesus is something that has been done for you. And then because it's been done for you, it transforms you. And then the story is told through you. And this is what Jesus wanted that first audience to know. Friends, it's not about you. It's about what I'm doing for you and how I'm going to tell the story through you. And it's hard when somebody says it's not about you because we spend most of our life, most of our time thinking about us, focusing on us and what we want and what we need. And so when someone comes to tell you that this is bigger than you, this is beyond you, at first it feels a bit offensive, right? But Jesus wants us to understand something, that this story is about what he's going to do for us and then how he's going to tell the world the story through us. The, the group of people find Jesus on the other side of the lake and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus just ignores the question and he gets right to the point and he says, you're looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Like you're here because you're hungry again and you got free food yesterday and you're hoping that we can have some free food again today. But I want you to know that I am not here to feed. I am here to heal. I am not here to provide free food. I am here to give you salvation, the gift of salvation for free. I am here to do something for you. And then I want you to tell that story through your words, through your life, through your behavior, through who you are. This is why I'm here. And I need you to know that. Here's how Jesus put it. He said, don't work for food that spoils. Like stop spending your whole life working for things that will fade. Stop spending your whole life doing things that don't give you life. You're here because you're hungry, but know this, your soul is more important and it's hungry for purpose and it's hungry for significance and it's hungry for forgiveness and it's hungry for freedom. Don't spend your life. Don't spend your life giving your life to things that don't give you life. Like you're working for things that are gonna spoil and fade. Something bigger is happening in your life and around your life and I'm inviting you into that. Jesus said it this way, don't work for food that spoils but instead for food that endures to eternal life. Life that matters. Life that goes beyond this life. And then he says this, which the son of man, now he's letting them know who he is, which the son of man will give you. And then he says on him, and I love this, on him, God the father has placed his seal of approval. Here it is, here it is. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. You've been invited, you've been forgiven, you've been set free, and now you have an opportunity to tell that story through your life. I am doing something for you, and because something for you has happened in you, it's good. I wanna tell that story through you. Because when something good happens, you want the world to know. This is why John wrote this down, and this is why Jesus want these, wants these people to get it. 
Friends, he wants them to know that it's not about them and it's not about you. And the work of Jesus that he's doing for you can't be contained in you. It can't be controlled by you. It has to get out of you. And this is what Jesus understands. And this is a moment where John's eyes were opened. And their response is frustrating. But I think it's a response that a lot of us give to God. Their response is, okay, I like what you're saying here, Jesus. And so what miraculous sign will you give us so that we may see it and believe you? To which I think Jesus went, where were you yesterday? What did you miss about five loaves and two fish and 20,000 people and we all ate and had our fill? What more do you need? What miraculous sign do you need? You saw it yesterday and yet you ignored it. And now you're looking for more? I think a lot of people say that to God. If God would only do this, then I'll believe in him. And God responds with, I've done everything and given you everything that you need. I sent my son Jesus who died on a cross for the sins of the world and he resurrected from the grave to set you free from the consequences of your sin and death. I've done everything and you have everything that you need. There isn't more that I need to do. I've done everything. I've done it for you and I want to tell the world that story through you. And for these people, when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to do any more magic tricks for them, they decided to unfollow. And if you continue to read John chapter 6, you'll see that they decided to walk away from Jesus. And here's the thing. Maybe they had a good excuse. But you know who doesn't have a good excuse? You and me. Because you and me, we live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. Those moments that announce who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. We live on the other side of the letter that John is writing, who saw it and wrote it down, and we've read it and we've heard it, and now we have to make a decision based upon the evidence about who Jesus is, and if we're going to give our life to him, if we're going to trust in him, because he has come to do something for you, and then tell that story through you. You know what it looks like to tell that story? There's, there's actually a moment in this story that is easily missed that actually gives us a great example of what it looks like to know that something has been done for us and we want to tell that story through us. Can I, can I show it to you? I, I don't want you to miss it. It's in that moment when Jesus is feeding the 20,000 plus people. It's when Andrew comes to Jesus and he brings with him a young boy. John writes down what Andrew said. Andrew says to Jesus, Jesus, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. And then we move on. But the greatest example in this story of understanding that God has done something for us and wants to tell the story through us is from a young boy who doesn't have a speaking part. <laughs> this young boy does what I think all of us should do. He recognizes it's not about him. It's bigger than him. It's beyond him. And so what he does is remarkable. He offers what he has. He gets out of the way. And then he trusted that Jesus was going to make it good. He trusted that Jesus was going to turn it out to be good. He trusted that Jesus was going to use this thing that he had, this small thing that he had, to tell a better story. He recognized that something's been done for him. And that story needed to be told through him. 
And friends, this is how the first followers of Jesus changed the world. This is how the first church changed the world. They didn't change the world by consuming. They changed the world through the way that they lived, by telling about the story that worked in them, that was good in them, that transformed them. They talked about what God did for them and they got it out of them. They wanted everybody to know about it around them. They said to God, here I am, would you forgive me? God, here I am, would you fill me with your spirit, with your courage, with your energy, with your passion, with your love? And God, here I am, would you use me to tell the story to those around me? And by the way, this is just a mic aside, all right? Just just you and me talking. These first Christians were some of the sweetest, kindest, gracious, and compassionate people on the planet, of all the people. They were the kindest, sweetest, and most compassionate people on the planet. And the reason why I point that out is because it's funny to me how often we will label sweet, kind, compassionate, and gracious Christians as weak or no backbone or they're lacking something. These first Christians weren't. They changed the world because they were kind and they were sweet and they were compassionate and they were gracious. And do you want to know why they held all those characteristics? Because they knew Jesus. Because they knew the truth. They were convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They were convicted that He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they decided to be courageous to take what was being done for them and tell that story through them. They were sweet, and they were kind, and they were compassionate, and they were gracious, and they changed the world. And they were not lacking, they were not weak, they were not compromising, they were powerful. And I get frustrated sometimes when I see people label sweet, kind, compassionate Christians as people who are not powerful when you see the first Christians change the world because of that. They realized it wasn't about them. They realized something had been done for them and they needed to tell the story through them. So what about you? You have everything you need. Jesus has accomplished everything he needed to accomplish for you. And when you receive that, when you trust in Jesus, The story doesn't stay with you because when something good happens in your life, you got to tell it, right? You got to let the world know about it, right? So what if you and I made a commitment to not let this story stay with us? What if you and I made a commitment to tell this story to whoever, wherever, and whatever? What if you and I committed to recognizing that something has been done for us and the announcement that it's been done for us is told through us? Like what if, what if for the next two weeks, you and I began to rehearse the wonderful work of God, you and I began to live in the kingdom of God by putting others first, by asking what we can do to help? What if for the next two weeks we decided to forgive because we've been forgiven by Jesus? What if for the next two weeks we decided to pra- practice radical generosity We would give of our time, our talent, and our treasure because God gave us Jesus. What if for the next two weeks we decided to serve because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, and we follow his lead? What if for the next two weeks we decided to love? Love in the sweet and the kind and the compassionate and gracious sort of way. The love that changed the world, the love that God gives us in Jesus Christ. You know what will happen? 
the world will begin to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want that. What about you? What if we decided to be sweet and kind and gracious and compassionate? What if we decided to recognize that God has done something for us and that story has to be told through us? What if we acknowledge that we have everything we need? You know what would happen? The world would change. The narrative would change. And a better story would be told. Doesn't it make sense now? Doesn't it make sense now why people get baptized? Because something good has happened in their life and they got to tell it. They can't contain it. They can't keep it in their heart. They got to let everybody know about it. This is why we celebrate baptisms big time here at Active. And our next baptism Sunday is the best day of the year, Easter Sunday, April 4th. And I want to invite you to consider getting baptized. I want to invite you to consider getting in the water and acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God in your life. Because that's why John wrote this down. John wrote this down so that you would recognize who Jesus is and that you would put your faith and trust in him because of what you read and what you heard based on what John saw. And John said, when you do that, you will have life. And so I wanna invite you to get baptized on Easter Sunday. You can get started by texting baptism to the number on the screen. And that's the first step in making a public declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God of your life. We have everything we need and something has been done for us and should be told through us because when something good happens, we want the world to know. So friends, be kind, be sweet, be compassionate, be gracious, be like Jesus. Let me pray for you. So God, thank you for opening our eyes to the reality that this story that we are a part of is not just for us, but it's a story that needs to be told through us. And when you do a good work, may we not keep it to ourselves, but may we tell whoever, wherever, whenever. May we be sweet and kind. May we be compassionate and gracious. May we be convicted of our sin and convinced that you are the Christ and courageous in telling that story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys.
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.